Thank you, Ethan. Good morning and welcome to Wilshire. We are glad to have you with us today, especially a lot of friends and neighbors passing through. Uh, There are a lot of things going on around Wilshire this month, and so members, I want to encourage you to take out your bulletin to look through that and to see all the great ways that you can be involved in the ministry going on around here today. Uh, And visitors, I'm especially glad that you're here today. There are two things I want to make you aware of. Uh, The first one, I hope you saw if you parked at least on the east side parking lot, uh, there's a banner for our Care and Share program. Now, this is a program where we provide some gifts and things for uh, children, and Lacey Rice always does a tremendous amount of work doing this. She was at the building this week working on things. Uh, at 9 o'clock this coming Saturday will be our Karen Share, where we'll get to minister to our community. So if you live in the area, if you have friends, neighbors who live in the area, We'd love to be able to minister to them and to serve them and allow them to have some of these things. So check your bulletin. Members, there are ways for you to be involved in some other things that would be beneficial to that. Um, And visitors, please check in uh, and and let us bless you that way. The second thing I'm excited about is today is the first potluck we've had in almost two years. We've eaten around the church, but we're not potluck style. And this is not your father's potluck. This is an exotic meat potluck. Jerry Noblin, who is an avid hunter, has provided a lot of different kinds of meat. And so if, if you're visiting today and you walked in and wondered, what's that smell? Are they going to eat today? You can eat with us. Stay and eat with us. If you didn't bring a thing, if you're a member and you forgot about it, you didn't bring a thing, stay anyway, because there's going to be plenty to eat, plenty to share. And if you're a person who says exotic meats, I'm not sure about exotic meats, there's going to be non-exotic options to share. (laughs) Just get in line behind me, we'll share them. I'm actually going to try some of the stuff Jerry has provided. It's going to be fun. Uh, Jerry and I were texting last night. Jerry was thinking through verses that maybe would help us For everything God created is good, nothing to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. That's biblical. So uh, let's put that to the test this afternoon, shall we? No, it's going to be great. Some other people have helped prepare that. Jerry has been so kind and generous in providing that and blessing the church. And at the end of the day, fellowship meals aren't always about the food, though it is good. It's about the fellowship. So I hope you'll join us for that. We are now six weeks into the story of Jesus, at least in this series that Jim has been walking us through. And there are some of us, for the first time in our lives, we're hearing these stories. Maybe you didn't grow up in them around the church. Maybe religion's not been something you've plugged into. And, and some of these stories, some of these things about Jesus, you're hearing for the first time. I can't wait for you to hear more of it. Now, there are others, we've grown up, hearing most of these stories our whole life. We've sat through uh, flannel graph presentations of the gospel. We've been to VBS skits. We've sung Jesus Loves Me Since Cradle Roll. And, And so these stories, it's very tempting for these stories just to be routine, maybe even mundane. And we've lost that sense of awe that captured the first people to hear, to witness, 
and to experience the stories of Jesus. So here's where I want to start this morning. I want to give you the option. Let's pretend. I want to give you the option to go back and to follow Jesus for one day or one moment in his ministry. That you can go and firsthand witness a day or a moment in the life and ministry of Jesus. If I had the ability to, to transport you back to do that, which day, which moment would you pick? Of any of them. Which day, which moment would you say, I want to be there when? As a preacher, I'd kind of like to be on the mountain when the Sermon on the Mount was handed down. What would it have been like to hear Jesus, the Son of God, looking over a vast audience of people seated on this mountain? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I know it was amazing because when Matthew tells you they get to the end of that sermon, that the audience is amazed and in awe. They have never heard anyone preach with such authority. I kind of would like to see that one. Or maybe you'd like to hear Jesus pray. What would it have been like to have heard the Son of God talking to the Father in such a close, intimate way? You read the Gospel of Luke, and Luke tells you, Jesus is always praying. He gets up early in the morning to pray. He goes and he he finds a private place to get away and pray. Luke tells you he prays all night long. And his prayers are so different that Luke tells you in chapter 11, the disciples say, Lord, teach us how to do that. I'd be a good one. Academics, we have some of those among us. We would love to have been there to watch Jesus debate the religious leaders. That's the stuff we live for. They all bring their pet issues, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodian. What's the greatest law? What what do you do about the resurrection and the Leverite marriage thing and And who do we pay taxes to? And Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell you, at the end of those debates, Jesus has shut them down. The smartest people in the room, and and Luke, Mark, Matthew, they all tell you, they were afraid to say a word when Jesus was done. Oh, that would have been cool. I'd like to have seen that. But I'm guessing that the moment I ask that question, which day, which moment you picked, I'm guessing most of your minds went somewhere else. Most of you probably would like to see a miracle, right? I mean, you've heard sermons your whole life. You've heard prayers your whole life. You've watched plenty of debates in life. But miracles by nature are not something you see every day. And so I'm guessing for most of us, If we could pick one moment in the life of Jesus, we would pick at least one of those 37 moments recorded in the Gospels. 37 unique, different miracles recorded in the Gospels of Jesus. 
because the miracle element, the signs, wonders, works of powers of Jesus was a central and critical part of his story. So, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all describe this miraculous working of Jesus. In fact, when you get to the end of the Gospel of John, John chapter 20 and verse 20, after telling you seven big signs of Jesus, John wraps up his book, or begins wrapping it up, with this statement. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you may have life in His name. So we have 37 recorded. John tells us seven, but when John gets to the end of his book, he says, there are a lot of other signs that I could tell you that Jesus did. I've just picked these to help you come to know him. When Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost, he's talking to Jewish people. He says in chapter 2 and verse 20, You men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders that God did through him in your midst. I love that statement for a number of reasons, but one of which is Jesus did miracles, signs and wonders, and you saw them. He's talking to people who have not become his followers yet. And Peter says, you know what you saw. And if they were listening closely enough, they would have caught the echoes of the same thing said of Moses at the end of Deuteronomy. Signs and wonders. And then there's this text that Steve read for us. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews is talking about this great salvation that we have. It was declared first by the Lord. It was attested to us by those who heard. While God bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles by gifts of the Holy Spirit. So if you picked a miracle as the thing you wanted to see, I don't blame you. They're impressive. They're unique. And they are the testimony to who Jesus was. But as you can imagine, being miracles, they're a bit controversial. They are the biggest claim of criticism leveled against Jesus, which I find fascinating. I mean, think of this. If all Jesus did was show up and say good things, what harm is there in that? Right? I mean, and lots of people who don't even follow Jesus, who don't even believe in Jesus, they like what he said. Turn the other cheek. Love your neighbor. Go the extra mile. Treat other people the way you want to be treated. And they love the idea of Jesus as this sage philosopher. But they didn't kill him because he was a sage philosopher. They killed him because he said and taught things that were verified in ways that they couldn't do anything about. And so miracles have become very controversial. And and people have asked the question, can rational people believe in miraculous things? Now, just so you know, I'm not going to answer that question this morning. That is a deep philosophical question. 
But before we get to what I want to talk about, let me just say a few things. One, the miracles of Jesus are supported by stronger historical evidence than almost any other historical event. You realize that, don't you? There are more witnesses, there are more accounts. The accounts are written in the time of eyewitnesses. And the claim is not that Jesus did these in a backwoods cave, it's that he did them amongst people who could see it and verify themselves. Even non-believers, Jewish and pagan critics, have to try and account for what Jesus did and what his followers claimed to have done. It's, It's not a question of did he do remarkable things, it's how did he do remarkable things among first century and second century and third century critics. And while other people in the time of Jesus claim to do signs and wonders, Jesus' claims are unique, like none other. But again, that's a conversation for another day. What I want to talk about is why signs and wonders were such a big part of Jesus' story. And to do that, we have to clarify a few other things. Turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 12. This is a case in point to something I said earlier. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is in a bit of trouble. He's been doing some things, been healing, and in in chapter 12, verse 22, it says, They brought Jesus, a demoniac, uh, who was blind and mute, and Jesus cured him so that the one who had been mute could speak and see. And the crowds were amazed. Notice again, the crowds. Jesus doesn't do this in hiding. The crowds were amazed. They said, can this be the son of David? And when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons, that this fellow cast out demons. Now I want you to see again, the question is not, did Jesus do something remarkable? In the New Testament, that's never at issue. The question is always, how did he do what he did? We've got to explain this some way. How did he do this? And the Pharisees' reaction is, he must have done it by the power of Satan. And Jesus answers, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? Why would Satan cast Satan out? A house divided against itself can't stand. The question is, is he doing this by the power of Satan or by the power of God? And the early church claimed that the reason Jesus does what he does is because God is behind this. Now, that means we've got to clear up a few other things. One, miracles are more than magic. There are lots of people in the New Testament who did magic stuff, who claimed to do magic stuff. In fact, when I say the word magic, your mind goes in our 21st century way to David Blaine or Penn and Teller or Ryan Newell. We have our own magician. And listen, this is hard for me to admit, but he's good. Shocking. 
I have seen Ryan pull money out of lemons and letters out of inflated balloons floating above here. I've watched Newell make children cry. (laughs) Happened at church camp one year. The girl went home. She was so freaked out by what Newell did. Our mind goes to magic like that. The thing about magic in our 21st century culture is we all know that we are being manipulated some way. Right? We all know, and Newell knows. He just won't tell us, and it irritates us. But he knows how he's doing this. And we watch magic knowing there is a manipulation of some sort. Modern magic is a believed manipulation of the audience. In Jesus' day, there was also a belief in magic, but that was believed to be a manipulation of spiritual powers. That if I have the right formula, that I can get the gods to do what I want to do. And if I have the right chants and incantations and and mixtures of things, then I can do that. Jesus' miracles are nothing like that. When Jesus does a miracle in the New Testament, it's by the power of God. Not some incantation, not some special mixture or ingredient. He speaks and it happens. And Jesus does miracles in a lot of ways that cannot be manipulated. You cannot manipulate a man who everybody knows has been blind his whole life and today he sees. You can't manipulate that. You cannot manipulate someone who has never walked a day in their life and everybody knows he's never walked a day in his life. And Jesus speaks and at that moment, in that place, and in that context, it happens. You can't manipulate that. And that's why the nature of Jesus' miracles are so unique from anything else. Miracles aren't magic. And the New Testament church, and even people after, said there's something unique about Jesus. We've got all these magicians, and we've got other these people doing other things, but there's something unique about Jesus' miracles, even in the first century context. There's something else that's important. Miracles are not placeholders for our scientific ignorance. This one's dangerous because a lot of people have assumed that early Christians called things miracles because they didn't understand the science behind it. Let me give you an example. Let's say hypothetically. This week, I actually did read an article that out in Los Angeles, California, there's an increase in seismic activity, earthquake-type work. Now, let's just say that someone was disloyal to their friends and neighbors and community. And that they were willing to sell their soul to leave Norman, Oklahoma, and move to Los Angeles, California, and coach another football team. It's all hypothetical. And at the precise moment he lands in California, there's more seismic activity going on. One might conclude that God is not pleased with that decision. Amen? But you and I know the San Andreas fault and tectonic plate. There's another explanation going on. Although God can still use those things. You see, and and people have for years said that, well, Christians just said this was a miracle when when there's a scientific explanation behind it. 
Well, there's a lot of philosophical problems with that. But, but even our best scientific explanations today can't account for some of the things Jesus did. If that's the rules, there's also a problem of the rules starting with, I'm here to be an objective observer, but now I'm immediately rejecting your explanation. That doesn't work. Christians believe in science, and they believe that something extraordinary happens. You can believe both. You don't have to pick or choose. Miracles are not... Here's a big claim of Christians, and this is pretty important. Our typical explanation are that a miracle takes place when God interrupts or when God suspends the law of nature. And, and the typical explanation is that when God interferes with the natural process. Oh, our claim as Christians is bigger than that. The natural process itself is God at work. You see, God holds everything together. Science can't explain why science keeps working. And so, to say we, when something doesn't work the way we thought it should work, it can't be God, that doesn't make sense either. Christians believe that God is present in everyday movements and laws, and that when you see a sign and wonder, it's God doing something extraordinarily unexpected. The regularity has been interrupted for a moment. Miracles are not the end message in themselves. This is important. In the modern age, when people want to look for miracles and flashy things, it's important to know that Jesus had moments where the crowds gathered, when, when the signs were being done and people were impressed. And if he would just do more, more people would show up and Jesus would say, it's time to move on. It happens, Mark chapter 1, 35 through 38, there are people coming, there are healings, and the disciples find Jesus and say, the people are out there. And Jesus says, it's time to move on because I came to teach the gospel. I didn't come to be a circus show. I didn't come to win people to my ability to do things out of context. I came because of the gospel and the kingdom. That's the purpose of miracles. And so I'm going to show you why signs and wonders were a big deal and are a big deal in our story of Jesus. Because they are the kingdom in action. When Jesus showed up and started preaching, do you remember his message? The kingdom of God is at hand. People have been waiting for this their whole life. They've been looking for this and asking, when is God going to keep his promise? When is God going to step in and, and fix the brokenness and the fallenness of the world? When will God begin to rule and reign the way he has always promised he would? Because Isaiah told us stories of when God does this, things remarkable are going to happen. And when Jesus arrives in the New Testament and he announces the kingdom of God 
is at hand. How do you show that? Jesus preached that, and with each miracle he showed that, God's will is being done right here and right now. Every miracle of Jesus. Now, this will be for another sermon that ties into the message that Jesus preached. But Jesus' idea of the kingdom of God is that the will of God is being done on earth the way it is done in heaven. And when he walks into a broken situation in a broken moment and says, I want you to know that the kingdom of God is present. Your eyes were not made to be blind. Your legs were not made to be lame. Your ears were not made to be stopped up. God created you to be whole. And I want you to know that God is ruling and reigning and present. So open your eyes. It always happens in context. His miracles always happen within the context of the kingdom of God. So that Jesus' miracles aren't some random watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat trick. They are a mixture of of the Word of God with the power of God. And that's why when Jesus starts His ministry, He walks into His hometown synagogue. You can read it, Luke chapter 4. He walks into His hometown synagogue and they hand Him the scroll. Just so happens, He opens it up to Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news. The recovery of sight to the blind. To set the captives free. That's what it looks like when the kingdom of God begins arriving. He rolls up his scroll and he hands it back and he sits down. Today, that text is being fulfilled in your hearing. They thought he was crazy. But then Luke says... Eyes of the blind begin to be opened. The deaf begin to hear. The lame begin to walk. Because that's what God said it would look like when the kingdom of God begins to arrive. So that, in Matthew chapter 11, when John the Baptist is in prison, John sends some messengers You kind of get the feeling that John is looking around the prison walls saying, this isn't what I thought it'd be like. And John's beginning to have some questions and doubts. And he sends someone to Jesus. Are you the one to come or do we look for someone else? You remember what Jesus says? Go tell John. The blind see. The lame walk. John, the kingdom of God is arriving. And you know it's arriving because these things are happening. So that when the early church tells the stories of Jesus' miracles, it's not believe in Jesus because he can do things nobody else can explain. It's believe in Jesus because Jesus does things that explain the kingdom of God, that demonstrate the kingdom of God. Jesus is not calling people to follow his power and ability just to do neat tricks. He's calling them to the kingdom of a God that the miracles are pointing towards. They are signs of a tremendous story. And the second big thing 
that was part of the story of Jesus and miracles is that the early church believed miracles were a validation of God on the identity and ministry of Jesus. In John chapter 3, there's a man named Nicodemus, a prominent leader among the Jews. And he finds a time at night where no one can see him, no one can hear him. And he finds Jesus. And Nicodemus says to Jesus, no one can do what you do unless God's with him. Unless he be sent by God. You are doing things that cannot be explained in any other way except the presence and activity of God. And that was the beginning of Nicodemus' journey. To learn not just the miracles Jesus did, but to learn what those miracles were pointing to. That Jesus was in fact the Son of God. So Jesus made some bold claims in his ministry. That he had all authority in heaven and on earth. Is that true or is that not true? Matthew says he had authority over sickness. He had authority over demons. He had authority over nature. And you know how Matthew shows us that? He heals a leper. He calms a storm. He casts out demons. Because God says, I've given him that authority. That's why the early church told these stories of Jesus, these miracles, because they're not separated on their own, just as incredible demonstrations of power. They're incredible demonstration of the kingdom at work. And God's stamp of approval that this is my son. There's one other thing that is remarkable about the ministry of Jesus and his works of power. I had to ask Kate in this before I got to preach because I wanted to remember this. You remember last Sunday, Jim talked to us about Jesus being tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. And Jim spent some time in Matthew chapter 4 in the temptation of Jesus. You remember one of the first temptations of Jesus after he had been, he had been fasting for 40 days, hungry, And Satan comes and says, if you're the Son of God, take these stones and turn them into bread. And last week, Caden leaned over to me and said, I would have made it pizza. (laughs) Now, when you think about this, if you had the ability, if you had the power to do everything Jesus could do, what would you do with it? There have been movies made about this. If you had all of this power to calm storms, to heal disease, to cast out demons, what would you do with it? You know what Jesus did with it? Every time, every miracle, he did the will of God. 
He didn't turn stones into bread because it's not about him. When Luke tells you the story of Jesus going to Samaritan village and the Samaritans not wanting him there, the disciples told him, why don't you just call down fire from heaven? Just take care of it. Anybody in your life you'd like to pull that one on? He didn't do it. When he's praying in the garden and Judas comes to arrest him, he says, don't you know, I could call legions of angels and put this to an end. And he did not do it. When he's hanging on the cross, they walked by and they made fun of him and said, if you're the son of God, come down from the cross. And he did not do it. But you know what? He could have. But he didn't. One of the unique, remarkable things about the miracle signs and wonders of Jesus is that he always used them for the glory of God. That's different. That's why our early brothers and sisters, as they told the story of Jesus, they said, you've got to know about this. He didn't just say these things. He demonstrated them with signs, wonders, and power. And we have very good, strong reason to believe in the truth and the veracity of those claims. One day, one moment, you get to choose which one of those to see. What would you pick? Which miracle would you like to see? And what would that miracle tell you about the one you're listening to on that day? It's one other thing about miracles you need to know. Every miracle of Jesus provided people with a choice. You see, I know it's tempting to think If I could have just seen one of those miracles, I would believe. I'd have stronger faith. Why can't I see Jesus walk on water? Why can't I see the lame stand up and walk the way they saw it? If only I could see it, I would believe. I know I would believe. But be careful. Because there were people who saw what Jesus did and still refused to believe. Miracles do not take away your obligation to choose. Judas saw firsthand the miracles of Jesus. The Pharisees admitted more than once something incredible has happened here. We just can't let it be what it looks like it is. Because the question is, do you believe in the kingdom of God and the power of God was at work through Jesus? That's the question. And whether you had been there the day that Lazarus walked out of the tomb, or whether you're sitting in the pew wondering today, you still have the same choice to make. Is Jesus the Son of God or not? But let me say this, if he did open the eyes of the blind, 
If he did open the ears of the deaf. If he did cause the lame to walk. If he did call the dead from their grave. Wouldn't it be foolish not to listen? Wouldn't it be foolish not to pursue whether that is what God said his power and kingdom would look like? We still have a choice. But the story of our brothers and sisters from the first century on is that Jesus was no ordinary man. He did not preach like anyone else. He did not pray like anyone else. He did not debate like anyone else. And God put his stamp of approval on the powerful message of the kingdom through the signs, wonders, and miracles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Because if you do, he didn't come just to do miracles. He came to make all things new. Even you. And that power of God is at work every time someone confesses the name of Jesus. And every time someone is willing to give their life to him in baptism, the Bible says, through that power of God, you become a new creation. That's what the kingdom is about, a new creation. And so in the name of Jesus, who we believe did all of those things, we invite you to that part of the story where you step into the story of the new creation and the new kingdom. And you begin serving under the rule and reign of God in Jesus Christ. We can help you do that this morning. We invite you to come while we stand and sing.